Life Audio. You have joined the Truth Tribe with Doug Grotheis, philosopher, author, and kindly troublemaker. We're glad that you are with us, or I should say I'm glad you're with me since there's nobody else here in the bunker except for Sonny, my loyal golden doodle. On this podcast, we try to find the truth about the things that matter most through reason and evidence, and that involves dealing with defending the Christian faith, apologetics, and it deals with cultural criticism, and other things. And for the last few podcasts, I have been reading some previously published essays. I'm not against that, but I think some people would like some more unscripted comments. And some of you even said, well, we don't want you to read it out loud because we could just read it online. Well, good for you. So today, I am going to talk a little bit about the Hollywood strike and what to do. Oh no, Hollywood is on strike. The actors and the Writers are not producing content. This is a existential crisis for all of us. Well, not for me. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you ways we can actually celebrate the strike. But to set things up, let me read you something from CNN Business Online. This is from July 17th. On Friday, the SAG-AFTRA, a union representing about 160,000 Hollywood actors, officially went on strike after failing to reach a deal with Hollywood's biggest studios. That means Hollywood actors and writers are on strike simultaneously for the first time in more than 60 years, bringing bringing most film and television productions to a halt. Among other demands, actors on strike are calling for increased pay and a rethinking of residuals, which union members say has significantly diminished amid the rise of streaming services. Residuals are financial compensation paid out to actors whenever TV shows or movies they've appeared on are replayed. Here are some significant numbers. Actually, I'll just give you a couple. 160,000. The union has 160,000 members, and they will join 11,000 Writers Guild of America members who have been on strike since May. Let's discuss the significance of this strike. Now, I am really not going to consider questions of fairness or justice about the union. I have mixed feelings about unions. My father, Harold Grotheis, was a labor leader, union leader in Alaska until his tragic death in a plane crash in 1968. I think unions have changed a lot since then. But I'm not going to really deal with whether the strike is justified or how the union members should address matters of compensation. Rather, I'm going to look at our side of it. That is, if you're not a member of this SAG-AFTRA union, whatever that stands for. Let me read you a quote from Neil Postman, my favorite non-Christian social critic passed away about 20 years ago. This is from his modern classic book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, pages 3 and 4. Our politics, religion, 
news, athletics, education, and commerce have been transformed into congenial adjuncts of show business, largely without protest or even much proper notice. The result is that we are a people on the verge of amusing ourselves to death. From this book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, came out in 1985. I read this book first in August of 1987. I write down on my books when I read them. Then I reread the book in 1999. Then I reread the book in 2002. And I restarted the book in 2017, but did not refinish it. It's a book I'm extremely fond of. I have many notations on it. After my first reading, I wrote down prophetic indeed, excellent cultural criticism. Now, why do I mention that when we talk about a Hollywood strike? It has to do with how we spend our time and about our sensibilities. A sensibility is the way we comport our sensorium with respect to the world. What is a sensorium? Your sensorium is how you take in the world with respect to your habits. What do you tend to listen to? How how do you see things? What are you patient with? What are you impatient with? What bothers you? What attracts you? This has to do with your sensorium. Basically, the place of sensory and intellectual awareness, if we could put it that way. So your sensibilities have to do with how you adjust yourself to the world. And what Neil Postman says in this book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, is that we are dominated by the moving image to the detriment of the written word. And there's another book I won't be addressing as directly on this, longer, more academic book by Jacques Ellul, the great social critic, who died in 1994, called The Humiliation of the Word. Both Postman and Ellul believe that in the West in recent decades, we have shifted from a word-oriented culture, what Postman calls a typographic sensibility, to an image-oriented culture. You see this with the development of films, and especially with the development and dominance of television. Neil Postman wrote his book in 1985, before the rise of the internet, before video streaming, before social media. But his essential insight and that of Alul also, is that we should be wary of privileging the image over the word. Why is that? Well, as Postman says, Postman was a Jew. I don't know how observant he was. But he said that we need to remember that God told the Israelites not to make images of himself. That is, there is some deep skepticism about the power of images to communicate truth in biblical religion. Now, this strikes people as strange, counterintuitive. We have images everywhere. We take images of ourselves with selfies all the time. We need to have a logo 
an image that people recognize. We are all about image and appearance. But what we need to recognize is that biblical religion, the Old and the New Testament, is primarily about words, about language from God, about God, about humanity, about ethics, about everything. Now, God created the heavens and the earth and made a beautiful world until we messed it up, but it's still beautiful, even after the fall. So we can glory in wonderful painting, photography, well-made films, perhaps even well-made videos of some kind. However, we need to realize that when the image humiliates the word, we lose a lot of intellectual substance. This is because words communicate abstractions in a linear way. At least they can. Whereas images tend to be more ambiguous and less directly meaningful. Now, the images we see on television and online and on films can be very consuming. There's another book, I believe, called All Consuming Images. I won't address that. But Given that we have the strike of the Hollywood actors and writers, there will be a bit less material on television and in films at the time being. Not much less. Goodness, you can always go back into all films and all the programs and all the videos and all the rest of it that have been produced since recordings were recorded. So it's not like we're at a loss for content if we want it. But certain new programs, I guess late night talk shows, I never watch them, won't be produced for a while. And perhaps films will not be produced for a while, or some films. And that's good. Because we can reflect on how we take in the world. That is, we can reflect on our sensibilities. And we should try to adjust and calibrate our sensibilities to know what is good and what is true and what is beautiful, not merely what is popular or what happens to be on one of the many screens that we live our lives in front of. And we need to think about how we use our time. I love Psalm 90, my favorite psalm, I think. Psalm 90, verse 12, the psalm of Moses, the man of God cries out to God in this lament psalm, teach us to number our days that we may gain, gain, we may gain a heart of wisdom. So perhaps this Hollywood strike will give us the opportunity to turn off the screens, unplug, spend some time reading, meditating, thinking, maybe some time in silence with no external stimuli, at all, where we can pray, read scripture off screen, a book. Remember those? Very simple technology. I've got about 8,000 of them. can read a book. And the book, as opposed to the screen, has some singular advantage. For example, you can't click anything and go anywhere else. There are no hyperlinks. Anytime you're on the screen, even reading on screen, you're always tempted to jet out somewhere else. Click something, go somewhere, buy something, check an email. You're doing something primitive and countercultural, and let's say sitting in a room, reading a book, 
perhaps amusing ourselves to death, public discourse in the age of show business by Neil Postman. You're just sitting in a room by yourself. You won't be distracted. Maybe you put your phone in another room. Just get it out of there. Don't even turn it off if it's next to you because you can turn it on too easily. So this strike can give us the opportunity to assess our sensorium. What do we take in from the world? How do we assess it? How do we evaluate it? And often we're just blown about by every wind of media. Now I'm jamming on Paul when he says we should not be blown about by every wind of doctrine. But often we do not give enough time and enough consideration to the kind of claims that we get. I think many Americans are well-informed, hyperactive ignoramuses. Now, what do I mean by that? How could you be well-informed to be an ignoramus? Well, you could have lots of facts or factoids bunched up in your mind, jumping together, dancing together in your mind, in your total sensorium but not know which ones are true and which ones are false. So you could be well-informed without being knowledgeable. Because if you have knowledge of something, you have a justified true belief. And to be wise, you need to handle knowledge in a godly, prudent way. So simply having images in front of your eyes or in your mind or playing with various images, or various factoids, like tweets. Maybe we'll call them X's now, thanks to Elon Musk. Just playing with images and factoids is not the same as possessing knowledge, let alone being a wise woman or man. I addressed some of these themes many years ago in a book that no one read, called The Soul in Cyberspace, Wet Me Bitter. So, this time of the Hollywood strike could give us a kind of Kairos moment, a moment of unique meaning and possibility without hype here to rethink how we think, to rethink how we feel, to rethink how we approach the world in general. Now, one of my courses, I assigned something called a media abstention. I've been doing this now for 30 years. Back in the old, old days, the previous millennium, it was very simple what the students would abstain from, television, or perhaps television and radio. Now, given the dominance of the internet, the simple television is not that much of a challenge or that much of a temptation necessarily. It's all about what's online and what's streaming and what's on the podcast like this and other things. So, I have my students select one or more media that takes up a lot of their time, that affects their personalities, which are not necessary for their job or ministry. Students will typically delete Facebook, delete Instagram, not watch any films, and I make them do this for 10 days. Hard task master that I am. And since I've been doing this now, giving this assignment for about 30 years, about 95% of the students will note a significant change in their life, that is, in their sensibilities. 
give me an example from some years ago, one of my students always listened to the radio in his truck. He stopped listening to the radio in his truck. And he realized the truck needed to be fixed. There was something wrong with it. And the sound of the radio covered that up. To give you another more interesting, significant example, perhaps, one of my students said, my wife and I watch films together all the time, almost every night. We sit together and watch a film. For the media abstention, we stopped doing that. And I realized we needed marriage counsel. So when you take away these media, it can reveal aspects of your life and aspects of your relationship that you might not see otherwise. Also, you can attend to things you don't typically attend to because we're finite beings. We can't know everything all the time. Only God can do that. So, for example, if you do something like not listening to anything when you're driving, no podcast, no radio, nothing, no music, you may pay more attention to the other drivers. You may be a better driver. You might have time to pray. You might have time to sing to the Lord. All right. So I think the point is obvious. When we deny ourselves some of these media, the world opens up to us in a different way. In fact, we might be more open to the voice of the Holy Spirit. My students have written things like this in their papers for many years. And as I said, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, or even if we're not, the better part of wisdom is that we would come to know what is true and good and important and beautiful. And you can't just stumble through life, entertaining yourself to death, amusing yourself to death, and hope to find knowledge and wisdom about the world. This takes some focus. It takes some discipline. And we should not be amusing ourselves to death. Neil Postman said, think of Romans 12, 1 and 2, one of my favorite passages. Therefore, and this is after Paul has delineated tremendous Christian doctrine about God, about sin, about salvation, about ethics, about Israel, about so many things. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul's writing before electricity was domesticated, so to speak. He's writing before electric lights and radio and television and the internet, of course. But he's warning about worldliness. That is where fallen patterns of life and fallen ideas affect people instead of the living word of God, where people are more attentive to style and fashion and trends and selfishness and egoism and all the rest of it, false ideologies, than they are to God's truth revealed in Scripture. So do not conform to the pattern of this world. Anything that squeezes out the knowledge of God needs to be resisted. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds need to know the truth, and our minds need to be calibrated and adjusted to find truth in the world and to respond properly to the world in which we live. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's something we can do during the Hollywood strike. You may want to engage in a media fast, as I demand that my students do. Take 10 days and decide to abstain from one or more media that affect your lives that are not necessary for your employment or for your ministry. I think most of us can do that. So you may want to go off Facebook for 10 days, go off Instagram for 10 days, stop watching any videos for 10 days, and then replace that, use that extra time for things like, hold on, reading, reading books, reading material that is not plugged into anything. So, of course, you can spend more time reading Holy Scripture. There's so many ways, of course, to read the Bible. You can sit down and read a few chapters in the Psalms. You could decide you'll sit down for however long it takes to read an entire gospel, read one of the epistles, lay out a plan to read a longer book in the Old Testament, a book that I have read many times, more times than I can count, in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. I have an article, a couple articles, online about Ecclesiastes. It's a misunderstood book. But the book gives deep wisdom about how to live in a fallen world under the sun and how to redeem the time, how to make the most of your time, even amidst of disappointments and the ephemerality of life, like life as vapor and so on. And Ecclesiastes is the kind of book that you want to read slowly, read it, reread it. It's good to sit down and read the whole thing. It won't take you more than about half an hour, maybe. Or read a chapter very slowly and think through it, work on it. Then, of course, we can read classics of literature. A number of years ago, I have to brag here, I decided I was going to read Moby Dick the great classic by Melville. And, lo and behold, my grandmother used to say, I did it. Now, I think it took me about three months. One thing that's really helpful about Moby Dick, as opposed to some other gigantic tomes, is that it's divided up into short chapters. So if you read one or two short chapters a day, you can get through it. Now, I brag about Moby Dick because there are many classics I have not read, and I confess that I tend to read nonfiction much more than fiction. You just can't do everything in life. You just can't know everything in life. I know I've tried and I've failed to know everything, at least yet. You may want to read classics or read a shorter classic. One that's very pertinent today, given our rising authoritarianism in politics, would be 1984 by George Orwell. Or another dystopian classic with the Brave New World by Aldo Huxley. You could read thoughtful, more contemporary books. Uh, most of you may know that one of the biggest influences in my life and ministry 
has been Francis Schaeffer, who was an apologist, evangelist, activist, prophetic voice in the evangelical world. He lived from 1912 to 1984. I have literally read all of his books. I've read most of his books twice. I've read many of his books more than twice. I believe I've read The God Who Was There about five times. i probably listened to it about four or five times because it is so intellectually nutritious, challenging. I continue to get insights from The God Who Was There. It was written in 1968. And other books of shape for one I recently reread was Death in the City, which came out of a series of lectures he gave at Wheaton College in the late 1960s. He looks at passages in Romans and Jeremiah about what happens when a culture abandons God, turns its back on God, in a sense, spits in the face of God. And even in the late 1960s, Francis Schaeffer realized that this had happened in the West and in America. Probably his most passionate book, Death in the City. Something else you can do during this strike, this blessed, may God be praised, Hollywood strike may continue forever, is listen to music. I should do a whole podcast on this, but we often don't listen to music very intently or seriously. We often have music on in the background and Often, we don't listen to music with a very high level of fidelity. That's because music is available through streaming, and people often listen through earbuds. And earbuds, unless they're really expensive, don't give you very good audio quality. I listened to some podcasts recently by uh, a writer named Ted Joya, who writes about music and quite a bit about jazz. And he was lamenting this. Uh, moreover, if you listen, I'm going to jam on this for a minute. If you listen to streaming services and compare that to a CD or especially to an album, to vinyl, it sounds terrible, usually. Sometimes they will even remix the music to make it sound very different than the original LP or the original CD. Now, I came of age with music as a teenager in the 1970s, and my friend Carl Leon was an audiophile, as was his father. So when I had the money, I bought good equipment, JBL speakers, Pioneer turntable, which I still have, which I got in 1973, an AR amplifier. I had good headphones, and so we would sit and listen to music from the album or through the headphone. It's a different kind of experience than just running around town with earbuds in where music is streamed by somebody else. Now, if you listen to music, let's say an album, I'll try to cut it off here. I need to do a whole podcast just on vinyl and album. But if you have a turntable and you listen to an album through a decent stereo system, you are more involved in what's going on because the music is coming to you from speakers or headphones. You've chosen what to listen to. You have information about the artist and about the music in front of you. Most albums have liner notes. Some of them are very well written. Some of the jazz liner notes are interesting, well written, and so on. 
And also the quality of the music is better in analog than it is in digital. Now you have to invest yourself a little bit. You have to put on an album. You take it out of the sleeve, put it on the turntable, drag the needle over to the album, put it down on the album. And then albums only have 20 to 30 minutes of music, which means, oh no, you have to get up out of your chair, go back to the album and turn it over or put on another album. So what I'm saying is listening to music on vinyl, we're not even talking about what kind of music, but of course it should be jazz or some classic and progressive rock. But the act of, if you will, the phenomenology of listening to music through albums is very different than what many people experience so you can be more attentive. You could be more grateful to the Lord. It's good music. We should be grateful for what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. And we can also invest our sensorium in the music. And perhaps something about the history of the music. If you're reading the liner notes, or let's say if you're listening to a recently released recording from John Coltrane, as I did recently, I've been listening to Coltrane and studying his life for about 30 years. So when I listen to that music, uh, there's a deep reservoir of knowledge and appreciation of the man, his life, and his, and his music. So in light of this strike of the SAG-AFTRA union, about 160,000 Hollywood actors and then about 11,000 writers in the Writers Guild, I'm not saying we should glory in the fact that people are striking or they may lose their job or they're not being compensated properly. Nothing like that. But what I'm saying is, why don't we take this blessed absence of material and use it to our betterment? If you don't read very much, start reading more. If you don't listen attentively to good music, we could start with John Coltrane, then listen attentively to good music, maybe by yourself. Maybe with someone else. Uh, it's fun to listen to music together with someone and talk about the music. So we have all kinds of opportunities now to not amuse ourselves to death. So Doug Grotheis, this has been Truth Tribe, where we try to seek the truth about what matters most through reason and evidence and have some fun along the way. I think we had more fun today than usual, and that's probably because I wasn't reading from a script. If you'd like to know more about my ministry, you can go to douglasgrotheis.com. If you like this podcast, then tell somebody about it. Uh, maybe even talk to a human being face-to-face -face or put something on Facebook, Instagram. But wait a minute, you're not supposed to be on there. Okay, just talk to someone about this podcast. Of course, now I'm saying don't listen to the podcast for a while either. So after you listen to this, uh, do a media fast and don't listen to my podcast for 10 days, but then please come back and listen to Bye-bye. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com.
God kept calling my heart. Like, I just knew he was my safe place. I hope people don't walk away going, wow, you're really awesome. More than like, wow, Jesus is really interesting. And he's really awesome. Everybody on this planet is dealing with some sort of what if. How does that one courageous decision affect the whole world? A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. If you were encouraged by what you just heard, please search Trevor Talks on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com.